Today is the first week of our series, The Bad Boys of Easter. When you think about Easter, I can't really put in mind that I think, well, there's bad boys that go along with Easter. And we see the life of Jesus Christ, and we think we see that he came, he performed miracles, we see that he was crucified, he rose again, but we don't see it from the perspectives of some of the disciples. One of the disciples was not so good, and his name was Judas Iscariot, the pretender, if you will. So the first message of the series is going to be Judas Iscariot, the pretender. And I think about Easter Sunday coming up, and I remember years ago in the Nazarene Church at New Lexington, they had a special communion service, and it was different than all the other ones that I had been to. They had tables lined up on the platform, and they had a white cloth over the table, and They had 11 people, there was 13 chairs, and 11 people went up at a time. Well, the head of the table was Jesus Christ's place, so nobody was worthy to sit there. And at the end of the table, they had another empty seat, and that seat was for Judas. And they felt nobody was as bad as Judas. Nobody should sit in the seat that betrayed our Savior. And I remember that very well, and I think about how I agreed with that. I thought, well, I don't want to sit in Jesus' seat because he's too worthy, And I'm definitely, surely me is not bad enough to sit where Judas would sit. But if you think about it this morning, is there not a little bit of Judas Iscariot in all of us? You think, oh, that's that's kind of bad. He betrayed Jesus Christ. He made promises. He walked with Jesus. Yeah, he betrayed him. And I think about my own life and the things that I've done. I'm thinking, okay, I see where this is coming from. Do me a favor this morning. Think about the person that you are closest to. Maybe it's your spouse. It should be. But think about it anyways. Your spouse, maybe a best friend, a relative, a coworker, a child, a parent. It could be anyone. Now think about how much money would you be willing to trade for this relationship? Would it be $1,000, $10,000, $100,000, millions? And you're thinking, no, I'm not going to give anything for my spouse. I'm not going to give anything for my child or my friend. But have we all not been tempted to give up or not even enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ or with God because of something, somebody, or because of disappointment? We've all experienced frustrations, disappointments, and hurt, have we not? Stacy and I got married for better, for worse. She could have done better, and I could have done worse. (laughs) Relationships are not always easy. They, They take work. They take time. They take energy. But I wouldn't trade money for the relationship that I have. I'm not looking for you to raise your hand this morning, but who here has actually maybe bargained with God? God, if you don't let, let the cop turn on his lights, I promise I will drive slower. God, if you give me this promotion, I promise I will pay more in my tithes. I'll give more to the church. God, if you heal my loved one, I will dot, dot, dot. I personally, I'm going to confess to you this morning, I have bargained with God several times. God, I'll go into ministry if you protect my family. And he never listened to me. Well, God, I'll do this if you do this for me. I recognize how weak of an individual I am, and I need God, and I know that I'm not capable, so I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to use you in my life for this. 
And I'm the only one here that does that, right? Everybody else here has got this all figured out. They don't ever use God for the relationship, for what they're going to receive. When I was 17 years old, I prayed God to heal my son, and I said, God, I will follow after you. I didn't want a perfect relationship with God. I didn't want to be called into ministry. I didn't want to be up here in front of you all this morning. I knew that 20-some years ago. It might be longer than that, but I'm not doing the math this morning. I just wanted my son to be healed. And I said, God, I will serve you and I will follow you if you heal my son. But that's really all I wanted. And then God started doing a new work in me changing my heart and my life and said, it doesn't work like that, Brian. If you're going to surrender your life to me, then I'm going to use you for my good. God, if you will, I will do this. Since God didn't, some of you here this morning, God has not answered your prayers, and you might have not been in church for a long time because God did not do what you called and asked him to do. You prayed and you prayed, and God did not move, and you said, God, you didn't and I'm out. I'm not serving you. I'm not going to give you honor. I'm not going to give you glory. I'm not going to give you praise. The first thing we're going to talk about today is for Judas, Jesus was always a means to an end. In this story, it's actually his end. We are going to be looking at the character of Judas Iscariot today, the pretender if you will. And I I think about that because I think that Judas walked alongside of Jesus and watched the many miracles that he performed, yet he pretended to be involved in Jesus' life. He pretended to care about the healing of the sick. He pretended to act like he was part of this ministry. Kind of sound familiar? How many times in our lives we go to church I'm back at it. In the midst of desperation or being desperate, it's easy for us to cry out to God. If we're in a hospital and somebody's laying in a bed sick and and getting ready pending death, it's easy for us to cry out to God and say, God, heal my loved one. I'll do whatever you want. Just heal them. I'll go to church. I'll dedicate my life to you. If you just do it, it's so much easier in the time of desperations. But this rich young ruler wasn't in that time. He had money. He had youth. He had everything on his side. And and God, Jesus told him that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in to eternal life. And how does that reflect in our lives? When I was desperate, I needed God, and I cried out to him, but he did something different inside of me. Out of selfishness and, and, and greed, we assume that Judas was maybe trying to push Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the guy that came to make a difference in this, in this world. He was trying to maybe push Jesus Christ to take rule. He was focused on what is in it for me. Well, it wasn't just Judas, Judas that had that thought. Matthew 19, 27 says, Then Peter, Peter was one of the 12 disciples who followed after Jesus, said to him, We've given up everything to follow you, what will we get? You ever use Jesus for us? 
It gets better. Mark 10 records a conversation that James and John had with Jesus' teacher. They said, we want you to do us a favor. What is the request, he asked? They replied, when you sit on the glorious throne, we want you to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. They wanted Jesus to do them a favor. So many times we want Jesus to move and make a difference in our lives, not because we want him to make a difference in our lives, but because we want what he, like a genie in the bottle kind of thing, if you will. What is, this, what is in it for me? What am I getting from this man? Judas is frustrated. He's aggravated. He wants Jesus to make a move. The second thing we're going to talk about is abandon Jesus when he disappoints. Matthew 26, 6 through 13 says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. I could have sold this for a high price, the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She poured the perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. So Jesus in this town of Bethany, he was eating. He was basically kind of laying down on, on on his arm, propped up, And a woman brings in this alabaster jar of of perfume. And the jar of perfume is sealed. So the woman has to like bust the top of it off. And once you open it, it's going to release a bunch of perfume smell. Like it's going to be in the room. It's going to be in the streets. All the neighbors are going to smell this because it's such a large um, bottle. And not only does she break the bottle, but you have to use it or it's going to go bad. And she starts to anoint Jesus' hair. And she thinks about all of her sins in her life. And she starts to cry. And she's, she's anointing Jesus' feet, washing his feet, giving herself to her Savior, who she loves and adores. Well, Judas sees this. And Judas is kind of, you probably work with people like this. He's a troublemaker. You ever work with a, a group of people and just one likes to cause trouble, likes to stir up things? So Judas sees this and he's thinking, we could have gave this money to the poor. And he hits the crowds like, listen, we could have gave the money to the poor. Now Judas didn't care about the money. Judas was the treasurer. And the Bible actually talks about how Judas would take money from the treasury. He was a thief. He, wasn't, he didn't care about the poor. He cared about Judas. He wanted to get a bunch of money. This is just my thought. He wanted to get a bunch of money saved up so Jesus would finally be the ruler that he wanted him to be. He wanted him to come in on a white horse and and take rule and be a militant. And he wanted him to take care of things and move in the right direction. In the midst of all this drama, everybody's outraged about this perfume and this expense and, and what they're doing for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Don't criticize this woman for what she's doing. This woman is preparing my body for burial. 
what? What do you mean, Jesus? You're our leader. You're, you're the Messiah. The Messiah is not supposed to die. What are you talking about? She's preparing my body for burial, for me to die. And the atmosphere changed. And all of a sudden, everybody's starting to think about me. What's going to happen to us if we don't have Jesus Christ? What if we don't have him anymore? Judas watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. He watched him turn water into wine. He watched him make the lame man walk, the blind man see. He was on a boat with Jesus when Jesus calmed the storm. He watched Jesus feed the multitudes. And Judas at this point is so frustrated. Either be the ruler, be the Messiah, or I'm out. In the next scripture, we find that Judas went to the chief priest and he had enough. He's like, what are you willing to give me if I give you Jesus Christ? And they came up with 30 pieces of silver. And if you think 30 pieces of silver is between $12,000 to $15,000. And that's what he traded his relationship with Jesus Christ for. That's not that much money. That goes fast. Have you ever been frustrated with God? The number one and number two reasons that people leave Christianity is because God never showed up. That's their perception. And God never answered their prayers. God disappointed them, and they said, I'm out. I'm done. The last thing we're going to talk about is barter rather than surrender to Jesus always results in a bad outcome. John 13, 21 says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled and exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Over in 27, 28 says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew what reason he said this. Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet. I can just imagine the presence in that room watching our Messiah, our Savior, bow and wash the disciples' feet. And they're finishing this last supper together, and, and they're all kind of talking and, and having a moment of time together. And he says, one of you are going to betray me. And think about the commotion in the room. And, and I, I can just imagine Peter, he, he didn't take the conceal and carry class. They didn't have it back then. So he had a sword out here where you could see it. He could just pull that sword out. And who is it? Who's, who's going to betray Jesus? I could just see him angry. And the 12 disciples, they'll, they'll wrestle him. They'll, they'll tie him up and they'll do whatever they can to stop this. But right now, just every, everybody listen to me. If you're on your iPad, your iPhone, just listen for a second. If you're watching live, this is very important. Jesus Christ, who knew the horrific death that he was about to take place in, he was going to be crucified. 
He was going to have flesh ripped off of his body. He was going to be beaten beyond description. He was going to be pierced in his hands, his feet, his side. Every ounce of blood that was in his body was going to be removed from him. And he knew all this. And he looked at the person, the one person that was going to betray him. And he whispers, he leans over to him and says, what you're going to do, do quickly. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God's son, Jesus Christ, not only died for your sins and my sins, but the one person that betrayed him, Judas, he died for him as well. If that don't tell you the love of God, if that don't tell you the love of our Savior, I, I don't know what will. But God so loved us, the world, that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. I'm going to ask the band to come at this time. The biggest barrier to them arresting Jesus was the crowds. Judas was with Jesus all the time, and he knew when the crowds were not going to be around. During the final days in Jerusalem, large crowds gathered to, to hear him. Enemies were afraid of a riot might break out if they attempted to arrest him publicly. They needed to arrest him privately. When Judas offered to betray Jesus, it was perfect. It will always be a mystery of why he did this. He had been with Jesus from the very beginning, had all the evidence he needed to know that he was the Messiah. Yet he willingly turned against Jesus and offered to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Why did he do it? Was it greed? It might have been part of it. He stole money. Or was it disappointment? Jesus refused to become a king, and Judas wanted the power for himself. But I believe the, the real reason... Judas was outwardly committed to Jesus. But in his heart, he was rebellious and unbelieving. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we're not transformed by confessing our sins and allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse our heart. We're just going through the motions on the outside. All that we talk about, all that we do is a heart issue. It's a, to allow the love of God to cleanse our heart of the desires of the old way and be filled anew in the new way. I'm going to ask you to stand. I have one more story. In 1999, I was called into ministry. To be honest with you, I had a calling in my life ever since I can remember. I had a call to, to preach, a call to serve. And in 1999, it got to the point that it was starting to choke me. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to preach. I want you to be a pastor. And I've shared this story before. There was three ministers when I was growing up that lost sons. Reverend Nelson, John Gibbeton, and Reverend Hughes. And they were all my pastors. And for me to surrender and to accept the call of Jesus Christ on my life, to be a preacher, to be a minister, I was afraid that I'd have to give up one of my sons. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't willing. And I said, no. I'm not going to preach, God. I'm just going to go to church, do whatever they ask me to do, go through all the motions of what a church person looks like, but you can't have my children. I stopped there. And I'll never forget the moment when the Holy Spirit said, Brian, either, either you surrender your kids and your life to me, or it's done. I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm going to barter. I'm going to say, you can have all this, but I'm going to keep on to this. And in 2000, I can't take it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And God, I surrender my kids. I surrender my, my wife, my whole entire family, my income, everything that I have, and I'm going to follow after you. And he's made a difference in my life since. What are you holding on to today? What are you trying to barter with God? Because as soon as you barter with God and say, I'll give you this, God, if you give me this, the value is going to be gone. Judas took back the 30 pieces of silver and said, I have sinned. I don't want it. I turned into an innocent man. I can't do this. And they're like, the blood's on your hands. And the story of Judas ends with Judas hanging himself on a tree of remorse, regret, and no hope. But today, we have hope. We have a Savior that loves and cares for us. We have a Savior that died and arose from the grave, that he has sent his Holy Spirit to, to encourage us, to empower us, and to make a difference. The altar's open today, and I challenge you to surrender to God versus Barbara.